0: The sky, in your eyes. You look
1: at me, baby, wanna catch on fire. Bradley Cooper recently made his directorial debut with Star Is Born, in which he starred with Lady Gaga. To make the film, he went in search of a cinematographer, and on Jennifer Lawrence's suggestion, he met with Matthew Libatique, who became his director of photography. I'm Carolyn Jardina, and on today's Hollywood Reporter Behind the Screen podcast, I'll be talking with Maddie about the making of *Star Is Born*. <music> Maddie earned an Oscar nomination for *Black Swan*, and his credits also include *Requiem for a Dream*, *Pie*, *Straight Out of Compton*, *The Fountain*. Inside Man, and Iron Man. Maddie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Maddie, in this case, you worked with Bradley Cooper on his directorial debut. How did the two of you meet, and what did you discuss about your approach to the cinematography?
0: Well, I was introduced to him um, through Jennifer Lawrence, actually. I was working on Mother with Darren Aronofsky, and I was in Montreal when I walked on the set one day, and Darren told me that Bradley was looking for a DP, and he wanted to fly up to Montreal and visit me because he wanted to meet with me on Jennifer's recommendation. He didn't end up coming up, but we wrapped soon after that, and my agent got a call from him, and he wanted to meet up, so I went to his house, talked about the film, and we hit it off right away. And we just spent about, you know, an hour and a half at his house just chatting about what we thought this story could be.
1: Now, you shot a lot of big concert scenes, and I know that he really wanted to create the feel that people are on the stage with the performers. Could you talk a little bit about how you approached that?
0: Well, yeah, it was his initial idea. We had talked about initial conversations about how we were gonna approach those stage performances because we knew we had numerous stage performances.
1: And you even shot at Stagecoach and you shot during the Glastonbury Festival.
0: Yeah, we shot in between acts at Stagecoach and in between acts at Glastonbury, which was, I guess at the time it was very anxious-filled, but in retrospect, it's a thrill. And it was a thrill, actually, to be on stage. It's the closest thing I've ever come to being a, that person. But one day during prep, we spent most of our time prepping at his house, actually. I wouldn't go to the office. I'd go see him there because he'd be working on music in his home studio and, and, you know, working on his voice, working on guitar. So I'd go there, and I'd just sort of hang out, and we'd have conversations. And he, he it, a memory he had about being at Yankee Stadium, seeing Metallica, and sort of the feeling he had being near where, th- seeing their perspective in a place like that and how small he kind of felt, you know. And I think that was something he wanted to convey to the audiences. And he, he said, what do you think if we just shot from the stage and never saw the audience's perspective? I was game. You know, I had shot straight out of Compton. I had done other performances in previous films. And it is your, sort of your standard view towards a musical performance is to do the proscenium. So I was all for trying something different. It worked out here. And it just sort of spoke to the subjectivity, specifically with Ali, Lady Gaga's character. And in that first time she sings Shallow on stage, I think we, you know, the concept born from memory, I think came to fruition when we actually shot that particular scene. How did you approach the shooting of those scenes? Were they handheld? Partially handheld. I operated a handheld camera on stage uh, and I'd shot most of the close ups, specifically with Bradley, because I wanted to, you know, I'd spent so much time with him and I'd watched him work on his music and his character physically and, you know, in terms of his musical skill that I felt like I, I was sort of connected to what he was doing. And then, you know, like in any film, uh, the camera operator and the actor sort of build over time, they build sort of a, a synchronicity, kind of like a, it's akin to a quarterback and a wide receiver, just knowing where each person's going to be at any given time and being able to react to them. So I operated a handheld camera, and I also had a couple other cameras on stage, typically either handheld or on a steady cam or a movie gimbal. So we, we were always. In a way, we had the camera, whether it be a steady camera handheld or Movi, we always had the ability to adjust. And it was incumbent upon myself and the other operators, Chris Herr and Scott Sakamoto, and Chris Mosley, they had to be in tune with the performances so that they could react accordingly. We had blocking specifics, but they were general. You know, if she, if she wanted to move a certain way then we need to adjust to her. If Bradley wanted to move a certain way, I wanted to adjust to him. So that was sort of the way I approached it.
1: And there was some pressure because, as I understand it, on Glastonbury, you only had three minutes.
0: Three, yeah, uh, and we didn't know that until we arrived. <laughs> that had a complication of having the set be completely incorrect when we got up there because Chris Christofferson, ironically, was the act that we were preceding before we shot, but he was doing a, a performance with literally four other people, and there's f- too many mics on stage, so Bradley and I ran out and just dropped the microphones down. We didn't move them, we just dropped them down so we wouldn't see them, and I just... Myself, I had a handheld camera, and I had to sort of navigate around these microphones that were on the stage floor. Basically, we couldn't... That's the one time we couldn't get through a whole song. We had to sort of specifically get through chorus and verse, and then do it one more time. So we were in a mad rush. But it was probably the most thrilling part of the shoot for me.
1: <laughs> and then looking at the film in its entirety, what would you say was the overall approach that you and Bradley wanted to take? Because you had, again, a lot of quiet scenes.
0: You know, we, the approach, really, everything was born out of trying to make these two characters as real as possible in terms of... We had to invest everything we could cinematically to make sure that that felt like that relationship was real. Obviously, the actors are doing their part, and Bradley had the added advantage of being the lead actor and also the director. I mean, we spent most of the time just trying to figure out where to put the camera in terms of what would be the right place to catch the emotion. So we knew we wanted to be handheld. We wanted to be kind of intimate and subjective on stage. That kind of ended up carrying over into the dramatic, the narrative scenes. And then we sort of maintained that kind of approach so the camera was loose. Anytime we were sort of in tighter shots, the camera was loose and uh, had a fluidity to it where we could transition from one actor to the other if we were inspired to do so because something happened organically. And sometimes we do two cameras because we would want to just stay focused on each character. And then when we did our wide shots, it became, our wide shots were more of the space that they were inhabiting being part of the character. So I have to hand it to him. He didn't come in with a shot, a boring shot list. You know, every time we were about to shoot a scene, it was an amazing process to actually think about it because we both were in tune. And it wasn't just us. I mean, he's got this infectious quality, as does she, as an artist. And You know it sort of infected the crew in the best possible way so everybody was kind of in tune with what we were doing and what the importance of um, giving the actors not just lady gaga and bradley but everyone you know sam andrew all of them had had to have a safe space you know so they could be the characters that they're meant to be and then they could explore you know if we had to do you know two takes or if we had to do ten takes there was no negativity And I think that comes from the top. It comes from Bradley's sort of attitude towards, you know, how he approaches trying to shoot a scene is the same way he approaches trying to craft a performance. It's like, you know, that's awesome, but how about this way? Or, you know, something's wrong. What is it? What is it? What is it? And not being rushed by time, even though we were rushed by time, he never succumbed to it. It's nice to have that leadership. Even as a cinematographer, you're so used to maintaining a pace, as much as I was technically trying to make it a safe space for the actors, he was actually making a safe space for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, there, there's one scene during which Lady Gaga's character, Ali, goes to a photo shoot, and there you were as a photographer.
0: <laughs> yeah, how not did, a stretch.
1: How did you get that role?
0: I asked one day, I said... Um, we we're talking about the scene. I said, "Who's playing the photographer?" Because I thought we'd bring in a ringer or somebody. You know, we'd seen Peter Lindbergh on set shooting, who's a legend, an absolute legend, and an influence to me. And I, I figured we'd get some, you know, heavyweight photographer. So I was just curious who might be. And then he, and Bradley, said, "You." <laughs> I'm like, well, "Are you serious?" And then I thought about it. You know, I I had hosted the ASC Awards three years in a row. You know, I and the first that. year, in the first year I did it. It was kind of a rush, actually, you know, sort of exercising different muscles and doing something different. But this was altogether different than that. When I do the ASC Awards, if I host, it's like I look at the audience and I know that I know everybody out there. But there's something different to being in front of a camera. And if you overthink it, you know, so he just, you know, he just said, be yourself, just be you. You know, I'm not, you're not playing anybody but yourself. So that made me feel a little easier. I even found the camera in one second, you know, cuz I knew the blocking anyway, so I positioned myself accordingly.
1: Was that the first time you did a cameo?
0: Yeah, it is. Although there was a written line for me, I didn't remember it, so I just sort of just improvised.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand there were actually a number of crew members that had cameos in this movie who were Absolutely. some of the others.
0: I think the only one I remember in the film that's still in, we shot numerous cameos from our crew, but uh, our property master, Mike Sexton, was the doctor who injects Bradley as he hands him, um, you know, a bag of pills or a, a prescription, let's say. He was in, we had our script supervisor, Lynn, who was also in the film, but I think that part got cut out. And then our first AD, Shelley Ziegler, was also in the film in a, in a section. She might be in at the tail end. Around the time that Gaga's playing the forum. she's a stage manager. <laughs> So everybody had to play a role, but it was within our zone.
1: (laughs) Did you have a favorite scene in the film?
0: You know, I've been asked that. I I always gravitate towards the exterior parking lot at the beginning of the film because um, the whole sequence, from the time he asks her out at the club that she's performing at to going to the cop bar and sort of having that sort of get-to-know-you chat, and then uh, the supermarket, and then it culminates kind of in the uh, parking lot where she sings Shallow for the first time. To me that's uh, exemplifies what it feels like to go on that magical first date i started
1: writing this song the other day i'm off the deep end watch as i dive in i'll never
0: I love that scene because there's so many things going on. I love the location. I love the light. But performance-wise, you know, they're getting to know each other, but you you have this sense that this is what, you know, if anybody who's been lucky enough to have an evening like this, I feel like that comes across. And you tease in Shadow from a narrative perspective. You tease in the lyrics of Shallow, which you're going to pay off uh, a few scenes later. That's, to me, that's the scene where you sort of, believe that they're gonna actually get together and that this is gonna be a genuine relationship. So when they when they stay together, despite sort of the ups and downs of his alcoholism and his addiction, you believe that there's an attraction.
1: You mentioned that you really love the location and the lighting, uh, where was it shot? And could you talk a little bit about how you lit that scene?
0: That was the big A supermarket in Highland Park here in uh, LA. So it's in the east side of Los Angeles. Our fantastic production designer, Karen Murphy, found that location. You know, she had decided that Allie was an East Side girl. Like, that's where she lived. That's where her she lived with her father, and I thought it was a bold and perfect choice. There was many different neighborhoods that she we were looking at, and then she sort of zoned in in that area, and I think it comes across. You know, their house was Angelino Heights. But this supermarket, we were trying to figure out. You know, we knew we were gonna, she was going to give us the lyrics of Shallow. But then that's one of those scenes that evolves. She stands up and her backdrop is this lit, beautifully lit supermarket. And it's almost like she's on stage already. And through his POV, his perspective, we're looking up at her larger than life, seemingly in the proscenium of a stage. You know, it's just almost serendipitous. You know, it always reminds me of this photograph by Philip Lorca de Cortia. I just, every time, when I went to the first location scout, I knew that there had to be a frame that looked that way. You know, as filmmakers, and we figured out that there was this beautiful frame of her singing this song for the first time with this. And Bradley likes to say that, you know, it's a visual kind of metaphor, really, for her future.
1: Did you go back and watch the Barbra Streisand, Chris Christopherson version, or any of the other versions?
0: Absolutely. I revisited him before I met him the first time, because, like, you know, you want to go into the job interview prepared. <laughs> and I... Uh, I remember seeing the Christofferson and Streisand version with my parents at a drive-in. So that was sort of ingrained in my memory, but I revisited that. But then what I was really surprised by, I loved the uh, James Mason and Judy Garland version. And you could see how different eras handled different stories and similar themes. You know, one of the things that we agreed upon was that there there were great things in both films. I think clearly because of its modernity. I think that the film visually sort of resembles the language of the '70s version, but I like to think that we've peppered in a lot of the Mason Garland version as well, because we, you know, there's a sort of Bradley has a sort of sense of classicism, I guess is the term, you know, like that frame where she at the beginning of the film she throws the trash away. And then she walks into that tunnel and we just hold the camera and it's just a wide shot that just holds, you know. I think that's sort of a homage to that type of filmmaking, where you can hold a wide shot. And I think it was a nice mix. And then somewhere in between, I think we made our own film.
1: What was it like to work with Bradley and Lady Gaga as actors? Oh,
0: it was incredible for me. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've had the great opportunity in my career to work with some amazing, amazing actors. So anytime you have two people like that, they're in synchronicity. It's a joy to watch. I mean, I'm lucky enough now that I could appreciate it more. The older I get, you know, I could I could sort of see a great performance and just be and be appreciative, not worry about the next setup. <laughs> I had the added value of watching her sing live because she didn't lip sync; she sang, and just be amazed by her talent. And again, I was going back to the concept of something being infectious when you're around. Um, somebody so immensely talented as her and so immensely talented as bradley you can't help but try to up your game yourself so i credit them you know they're kind of the muse for me when you see this film visually if it works or if it doesn't work whatever works i kind of credit them as an influence for me a
1: little more detail for the cinematographers listening this was shot within ari alexa
0: We shot with Arri Alexa minis with Cooke vintage anamorphic lenses and Kawa anamorphic lenses. I mean, those choices were basically, the mini specifically was because we wanted, I really wanted a small profile for the camera. The way Bradley was talking about how he wanted to work, it just, I needed as much flexibility as possible. The lens choices, that was a little bit more, okay, I'll test this. I mean, I tested a lot. I tested Hawk anamorphics. I tested Master anamorphics. I didn't go down the Panavision route. And then I tested the Cook Vintage anamorphics, which was the first time I used them. And they, they sort of afforded me the ability to have a, um, an artifact, like a, a, your sort of your expected flaring that you'd get from an anamorphic lens, but also sort of a durability and color rendition that I really, you know, and I knew color was going to be a character in the movie These lenses sort of did that for me. The way they capture color and the disparity between two different colors, I thought was, it had a lot of fidelity. And then why I picked the cow was because, one of the things I concentrated on, maybe because I spent so much time with Bradley, was how do I build the visual world around this character so he seems like a Bono or he seems like a Bob Dylan or he seems like uh, Kenny Chesney or, you know, any of these iconic people. And I wanted him to seem real, so I wanted there to be a specific palette to how we see him on stage, as and I wanted there to be a specific characteristic to the lenses and sort of the dirtiness of it. And the Kawas were older lenses. I mean, this is glass that's made in the, the 1960s, and um, they flare so incredibly and haphazardly that I just I said this is Jackson Maine, you know. It's almost like this childlike quality that the character has that I just played into. And there's something musical about him. There was something musical about flares to me. So I just accentuated it with his character, which is why I picked those. And Anamorphic was just something romantic. Just the whole concept of Anamorphic was romantic. And I think the film is romantic. And there's all sorts of things I convinced myself of at the beginning of anything.
1: So tell us a little bit about you. You're from New York originally. How did you get into cinematography?
0: How did I get into cinematography? I mean, I, a couple of different things. You know, my father was a, um, a lab technician in New York at a place called Berkey Film Labs. So he processed film. So we had a lot of gear at the house. And one of the first times I ever held a camera, he was teaching me how to, you know, shutter, iris, and focus, you know, the fundamentals. And the uh, first thing he said is he handed it to me, and he said, don't drop it. And immediately, out of fear, I dropped the camera. So I think that was a good start to my career. And uh, I ended up, in college, I, I saw and changed my life. I said, do the right thing. As much as I was attracted to the movie, I was, it was really the first time I was attracted to the camera and the light. And then I looked it up, and I, of course, I was a big fan of Spike Lee's. But then I was just, I wanted to find out who Ernest Dickerson was. And that was the moment for me. That was the spark to become a cinematographer is I just felt like there's something to this. There's something creative. There's like, you know, I never really wanted a real job. And I found that not real job to go for when I saw that film. And then subsequently, I started looking at different I started looking at different DP director relationships or director DP relationships. And then you go into the whole, um, you know, Bergman Nickvist and the Storaro Bertolucci, you know, or even, uh at the time, it was um, Oliver Stone and Bob Richardson, you know, and I was just like, these people who are like, a really talented connecting, and, um, you know, the rest is kind of history, and I was lucky enough to find Darren Aronofsky and make a small little movie called Pie.
1: So this weekend, the Camera Image Cinematography Festival begins in Witkos, Poland, and your film, *Stars Born, is in the main competition. You'll be heading over. You've been going for quite a number of years now, what attracts you to that festival?
0: Because, you know, it's really a festival in its purest sense. I mean, Image to me is, it's not just for cinematographers, although that's what the focus is. What people don't realize is like, our celebration of cinematography is also a celebration of directing. Because what we do as cinematographers is basically only as good As the vision that we're trying to create through our director or with the director we're working with, so it is a celebration of them as much as it is cinematography. So it's a celebration for me of filmmaking. You know, there's no market there, and the competition is. You know, I don't ever hear about who won that festival. I don't really care who won the competition of that festival. You can walk away with a golden frog and i you know that's not what people walk away from that festival with they walk away with this international setting where you're getting the best shot films basically of the year and you're seeing other people's work from poland from uh, sweden from argentina china and you know where else can you do that and focus not just on cinematography but the actual filmmaking at its core that's why i love that place i mean I also just love the camaraderie of, as a part of the ASC, I have a lot, you know, I have a lot of connection with a lot of the ASC members. But when you go abroad to this festival, all of a sudden I'm meeting the BSC members. I'm meeting all the Eastern European uh, photographers, the Russian cinematographers. There's such a common language between all of us. It's a way to appreciate and sort of extend my appreciation to their work as well. I mean I can't say enough about it
1: well also you're all on set in different cities and countries during the year and there aren't a lot of opportunities where you can all get together in the same place at the same time and really have a conversation
0: (laughs) I know absolutely under a setting where there's not a lot of pressure you know it's not a market and we're not being pulled in different directions by our movies you know it is as much a place for us to have this social setting where we can talk and chat as much as it is for watching films it's all encompassing and then we we talk about new technology we I, every time i go i come back and i've learned something whether it's by virtue of learning from um, another film, how it was shot, or just talking to some of the younger cinematographers that are coming out of film school, because that's the other element, is that you're getting all the cinematographers that are coming out of film school who just came out of film school, and people are making these most, you know, they're they're just sending cinematography forward. So it's also giving you an idea, as a contemporary cinematographer, what are the trends? You know, what are people doing? What's being overdone? (laughs) You know, it's definitely a place to geek out.
1: Well, I will see you there. Okay, Maddie, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for
0: good as an actuary. The world needs you.